Welcome to Rooster Radio. I'm Andrew Montessi with James Begley. When Rob Dean and Dan Mendelson launched Burger Theory from a converted caravan in Adelaide back in 2011, it kicked off a food truck movement and a burger revolution. Foodies would eagerly await the next Burger Theory tweet to find out the truck's next location. The lineups were notoriously huge. Rob and Dan then moved into bricks and mortar with three well-known restaurants and an enviable brand. An expansion into China didn't work out, but business still seemed to be good. Then we heard that Burger Theory had completely overhauled their menu. No more beef, no more chicken and no more bacon. Just a kangaroo meat patty. Hang on, what? We then found out why. The price of beef was going through the roof and unsustainable for the business and environment. So, true to their values of thoughtful fast food, they came up with a patty blend of 80% kangaroo meat, 20% beef fat and 100% taste. Cue the outrage. Animal advocates, beef-loving bogans, Rob and Dan didn't see the criticism coming. And it has been brutal on social media. The guys tell us the gutsy move to kangaroo is a risk for their brand and business. But it will be worth it. Rob and Dan talk through the decision-making process, the environmental and economic case, managing the fallout, changing culture, and how they became pioneers by default. It's a genuinely fascinating business story. Enjoy our chat with Rob Dean and Dan Mendelson. Dan and Rob, welcome to Rooster Radio. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Um, okay, now we're going to unpack the history of burger theory and I guess everything that you've achieved in that space, but we're going to jump straight to what we would call, Monty and I would call, an absolutely ballsy decision. And that is you have taken your biggest selling burgers, your number one selling burgers, off the menu and you're replacing, I guess, beef patties with kangaroo meat. Give us the lowdown. Be my guest, Dan. Oh, tough one. Um, yeah, well, we were, we sort of meet once a month to um, go over all the, uh, with a sort of pseudo advisory board, a couple mates that we kind of wrangled together and Lee actually. And um, we've essentially mainly go over the mistakes we've made and uh, try to not make them again. That's usually a good uh, advisory board meeting, successful. But um, we've just started, we've been facing the same problem for years now, which is that we use this premium, or we used to use, uh, we still use the same beef, but um, a fatty cut as opposed to whole chuck muscle, which just kept on. So if you sort of plot beef prices versus CPI, it's just beef prices are gone crazy. And you'd notice it a little bit at the supermarket, but especially wholesale, we've um, really been unable to sort of keep up with um, what beef is costing. To We couldn't pass it on to the customer. We tried a couple times, but anytime you put the price up, you, we were getting these issues of value for money, and we thought we were providing value for money because of our bottom line. But um, we basically uh, just had to keep coming back to the same issue of what are we going to do if this keeps on going on? How do we make this um, sustainable as a business? And uh, that's sort of when we were kicking around ideas. And I think it was Rob that just almost flippantly or even jokingly said, oh, what about kangaroo? Well, I reckon this says a lot about you guys because those sorts of comments would probably come up in a lot of business meetings and everyone would dismiss it and laugh it off. But I guess what are the attributes, what allowed you to take that kind of maybe flippant comment and, and begin to run with it? 
Yeah, I guess, and that's you know, partly beneath that was this question is like, all right, well, if we were starting out now, like if we were coming in the, into the market today, what would we do? And it wouldn't be what we were doing. When we started that seven years ago, it made a lot of sense. There was way less players in the market. A premium sort of American beef burger didn't exist. So it was a really good, um, that timing was really good. And, it, you know, we came in with a truck and it just seemed like we, you know, best of both worlds. The, the city was ready for it. Um, the city was ready for something different. And, that, and it just lined up that they were also ready to try these new foods. Uh, seven years later, it's a lot different. So when we're analysing, it's like, well, <clears throat> That was the question. He said, what would we do if we were coming into the market today? Um, so we just took, we just stripped everything back. Just got, we just lined everything else up, <clears throat> um, put to one side the things that we didn't think were working so well, and then we just looked at the marketplace. Um, so it actually wasn't about kangaroo per se. It was about, all right, this is the food system. Beef is, there's more and more demand of beef. Uh, the planet's less and less equipped to keep providing more and more beef. It's like, well, what else is there? And, you know, flipping or not, it was Roo, and then we, Dan was actually quite sceptical. Um, Very much so. Uh, then we started playing with it, trying it. We went to our, our supplier, um, and it just so happened that he was actually quite interested in the you know, kangaroo space as well. Um, that was Richard Gunner, um, and he has a partnership with Something Wild. Mm -hmm. And they were already making kangaroo beef sausages, so we bought some of those, ate them, and they were really beefy. Uh, so that was really where we, we thought, geez, this thing might have some legs. Excuse the bad pun. <laughs> so, uh, that, yeah, that, and that was about a year ago. So it's been, a, it's actually been quite a long journey. While it sort of hit the <laughs> social media with a bang, uh, we've been planning it for quite a while. How strenuous or how challenging was the debate? So like, what was the debating process like? Um, you know, did you have to win over Dan and what, what did that look like? Um, it's actually really similar to what it is now. Uh, once people tried it, they understood. And that's really the same thing we're actually working off, you know, with the public. So it's all the advisory guys, we made them. And they came and tried them and they understood where mm -hmm. we were getting at. Uh, Dan tried them. He's like, all oh, right, actually, this is damn mm -hmm. good. We actually think it's better. Like mm. I prefer the taste. Mm. Uh, it's it's very beefy still, but there's just something else. You know, just a bit, bit more tiny depth. bit of gaminess. Mm. I'm not sure, mm. um, but we want to avoid that word because people associate it. Yeah, um, with a bad thing. But I think there's just something a little bit more um, complex in there, and it's also it's not as heavy. I find mm. so. And what we did mention was that we we tried the uh, roux patties for the first time uh, just before we hit record, and they were magnificent. The um, the flavour was awesome, as you say. You got the kind of—is it the the beef fat? Twenty percent beef fat. Um, it's not. It doesn't have that noticeable kind of difference between a typical beef patty and a, and what people would imagine to be this crazy kangaroo patty. Yeah, and I think you know clearly we're not very good at PR because <laughs> that's kind of taken a back seat, and the, I guess the story ran in different directions to where we might have liked it. The point is that it's actually something really familiar, but there's a, something about it that's actually quite different, and um, we think provides a lot more benefit. But it's still something that's very familiar when you try it. Um, we don't want to be crazy, like that's kind of the point. I mean, I'm not sure from a PR angle you can do much to avoid the inevitable kind of debate that goes on. I think it's a fantastic debate to have, though. 
what did you prepare yourself for in terms of the comments and what did you think the public perception would be? I think um, we, the first thing we identified, well, there were a couple of things, but the first thing we identified was taking off our burgers that people had had for six or seven years. And we talked to a lot of customers that have come in since we've switched it over. And some people have been, you know, almost on the verge of tears of, well, just of the memories of the truck and chasing the truck down on Twitter, you know, in mm. 2011 and things like that. And, um, you know, they sort of say, oh, I'll never have my, you know, number two again, because while well, we do have a burger that's very similar to the number one and a burger that's except with different bun and different patty and a burger that tastes very similar to the Pearl's cheeseburger, we don't have that sort of, which was our second burger. We only had two burgers with the truck. And so that was something that we were definitely keenly aware of that, um, there would be people that would miss what they came to know us for and wouldn't maybe understand the full, you know, gravity of, you know, what we were trying to do and the full story. And, you know, maybe if they listen to this podcast, they might understand a bit more, but, um, that we were prepared for. I don't think we were quite as prepared for how much, uh, I mean, I, luckily I don't use my Twitter handle much, but right now it's dirt, um, with all the sort of rue lovers that have, uh, said that I'm called me various names and things but yeah man we've been hammered like <laughs> it's crazy but we've also got a lot of support i think what it says is just really polarizing we probably underestimated just how polarizing it was um so what are the two sides <clears throat> well to the argument um we i guess i don't even know how to describe it but there's been uh, it's almost hate speech but there's some people that are very passionate about kangaroos and they don't want to see any harm done to kangaroos, which is, look, it's fair enough, it's understandable. I think, though, that is then taken well out of context on our social... At least it's what's been on our social media. Um, it's, there's a lot of fear-mongering to try and steer regular or, I don't know, people that don't have a lot of, perhaps, knowledge of the issue. They're trying to steer them away, scare them off. Uh, so there's been a lot of misinformation um, spread... Funnily enough, though, so that's sort of the one extreme. The other extreme is we've had quite a few people, and oh, look, I don't want to generalise, but generally there's a car doing a burnout in the Facebook profile and they're telling us to fuck off. <laughs> yeah. So We've brought we've got, the two sides together. We've got the you know far-left pro-kangaroo <laughs> conservationists telling us to fuck off, and we've got... Rednecks. These other dudes. It'd be like Bernie Sanders and Trump, like just, <laughs> you know... I certainly don't want to brush like uh, all burgers we've had lots of that love it. So, yeah, but there is though, this element. It's like you can't eat kangaroo. You can only eat cows and chickens and pigs. What are you doing? It's a horrible idea. Maybe you should go set your burgers up in the Middle East and get the Palestinians and Israelis. Maybe just uh, come to some common ground or something. Yeah, that's you know maybe like you know we've done we brought two disparate sides together. So that's something we've achieved. As you sort of, you know, weather this storm, though, do you have to remind yourself that you did this because it was, in your words, a race to the bottom anyway? Um, yeah, I guess you have to, you know, it's, it's cliche. You've got to believe in what you're doing. <clears throat> we didn't even know it was that brave until everyone started telling us it's brave, which automatically sets off the alarm bells like, uh-oh, yeah. we've been brave, Dan. <laughs> this is not a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> But that was the same with the truck. We didn't, that wasn't meant to be brave either. That was just, we just thought it was an opportunity. And, you know, 
I think we're pragmatists in a sense, like this is also an opportunity. There's just so much. You look at the food system and what it plunders and what it's not plundering and what's available, and the, the two sides just don't add up. Um, so if we can make it work for our product um, in that sense, that can only be a good thing mm. is the way we look at it. And the more people are aware of it, look, the better the controls, the better well, everyone's understanding of those things will be. From a commercial perspective, do you feel that this decision does put you at risk? Well, yeah, massively now, yeah. Uh, I was driving back from York Peninsula when the Dan had an article, there was an article in the advertiser on New Year's Eve. came out New Year's Eve, which is a bit early. It was a slow news day, I think. So we were in page three of the Sunday Mail. I came back into range and my phone just lit up with, you know, I was all linked to all the social media stuff and it just blew up, like all these comments and things. It was like, ooh, <laughs> maybe this will be a big deal. Um, so it's a risk, but I think it's a, I think it's, look, we think it's a smart risk, put it that way. And as quick as these firestorms occur, we all know that um, they disappear pretty quickly too as soon as the next thing comes on the radar. So I guess you're either a genius or a mug really. So when you try something that's a bit off the wall maybe, so we hope we don't end up in the mug column. Now, we don't want to dwell on that stuff too long. So take us back to the trialling, you know, the patties. Was there any kind of Heston Blumenthal experimentation? Was there a recipe already out there? How did you go from sausages to, you know, burgers ready for sale? Well, it um, wasn't quite Heston Blumenthal, uh, but I think really the main one was I went out to, um, <coughs> excuse me, I went to um, Richard Gunner's. Um, so we'd been talking about, uh, I had read, I guess maybe it was a tiny bit Hessen Blumenthal, that uh, there's this guy, Harold McGee, which all the you know food guys kind of do the shout out, the name cred, all that. And he's like the on food and cooking. It's on like every uh, sort of chef's bookcase, but they've never read it because it's all sciencey stuff. And I was actually doing my PhD on food systems. So I read a fair bit of it because there was some stuff on waste that I was interested in. And uh, he wrote all this stuff about how you, there's that old cliche that fat is flavor, but um, people don't know why. And it's actually a lot to do with the smells, the um, aromas that you get from it, but there's actually chemical reasons why the fat is. So if you have like a boneless, skinless chicken breast and you roast 50 of them in your oven, it's not going to smell like one roast chicken, um, you know, with the skin on, the thigh, all of that, the wings. So that really did strike me. So as soon as we started, started talking, I think my first skepticism about the roux was not so much the flavor, but that it was 98% um, lean. And I was like, that's just, it's going to be dry. I've had kangaroo burgers. That's why I was skeptical. They were awful. They were, you know, there's this one food truck, which probably shouldn't go too much on about, but it was like the worst burger I've probably ever had. Um, I've had nice roux, but not as a burger. And that's when it sort of was, a, you know, very... Uh, small light bulb moment of like, well, there's a lot of beef fat around uh, because when you go to the butcher, it's not as if they're selling you, you know, a six kilo piece roast that's 90% fat. So that has to get used somehow, and they use it in uh, terribly inefficient ways. They'll even burn it. They used to use it everywhere. They'd use it in shaving cream and cosmetics, and they replace it with palm oil, um, which has been lovely for the orangutans. Um, so sometimes you sort of try to do the right thing and you actually do the opposite. But there was a lot of beef fat around and that's when we went to Richard and said, oh, well, we'd like to try this 
beef patty with some, um, you know, uh, well, beef fat with the roux. Can you help us out? And he's like, well, I'm actually already doing that with a uh, sausage. And I didn't know about it. So we did try that. And then I went out to his, um, uh, basically his, uh, where he, his operations are in Mount Barker. And he got at this, like, you know, 30 year old Barbie that was like dented in the middle. And we just tried a bunch of patties and we're like, Oh, well, that one's okay. And it was all scientific, but I think we lost a piece of paper. We wrote the recipes down on, maybe he found it again, but it just, it came to what we sort of thought it would with a couple little changes that we made. Like he does some nice things where he ages some beef fat as well. And a couple of tricks and things that he does for fancier restaurants and, um, to add a bit more flavor and of that beef and we just tried a couple of like yep that's the one um but you know it did take a while to then figure out all the rest of it because when we tried the patty for example a lot of people are like oh why is it this smash style um which is like the thinner patty and smaller grams than we did before it's actually then when we tried like a 140 gram patty like we had before and a thicker patty and cooked it you know medium like we did before it tasted a lot more like roux, which isn't necessarily a problem, but was making people not familiar again with, um, we wanted it to be as accessible as it possibly could. And so that's where that was kind of more of the innovation we had to do was how are we going to actually cook this patty? How are we going to store it? Stupid question. Can you patent something like that? I don't think so. Um, if the food industry, you try. yeah, we can patent the name. Yeah. yeah, we could call it the Rubergo TM or something. But the process itself, <coughs> um, no. And be like home brand at the supermarket. Somebody can do it if they want. Yeah. yeah. Hey, if but, somebody starts ripping us yeah. off, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> they can. I'll direct all the Twitter <laughs> people be, to them. That'll, yeah. yeah. that'll be some kind of validation. Yeah. Like, Yell at those guys. <laughs> yeah. So you get to that point, and you go, "Actually, this tastes bloody good. Like it's ready yeah. to go." Were you that naive to just think, okay, now we're just going to launch it? Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. Pretty much. Okay. Well, not entirely. We did, we ran it at the cricket, the test match, uh, as a trial. We'd wanted to put it actually in Rundle Mall as a pop-up um, to really properly test it, uh, but then we got lost in the political mire, quagmire of staging something in Rundle Mall and all the different interests and stuff, and we just... That just wasn't worth it. So we uh, we we have we've got a shipping container kitchen, and we thought let's do it at the test match. We okayed it with Adelaide Oval, uh, and put up that on. It was one burger. It was a kangaroo beef blend um, available for the test match. Uh, it was a flyer and information sheet that went out with every burger. Um, barely slept the night before it suddenly hit me. It was like, what are we doing? It was awful. And then the gates opened and people started lining up and they didn't stop lining up for the entire test match. Um, I think we did about 4,000 uh, these roux beef burgers um, and lots of people coming back. I think one lady walked off in disgust. Um, that's a pretty good record out mm. of that many, I think. So you're thinking you're sweet. I reckon that lulled us into a massive false sense of security. We didn't do any media around it. Um, we just wanted to try the, the product itself because it's Rube, the roux beef patty aside, it's it's really a different burger to what we've been doing. Mm. So even if it had been just beef, I think we still would have been nervous. Mm. Um, but yeah, that that just went off without a hitch. We're like, oh, sweet, we're good. Let's just roll it out in the stores. That was the idea. Um, and how wrong we were. <laughs> Do you think the part of it 
is, and we've talked about it a little bit on the show, and I, you know, we do sometimes go down this path, but there's something about Adelaide culture. Adelaide is different, good and bad sometimes. Do you think that that dynamic played a role in terms of the response to this? It's very hard, I guess, without an A-B test. We haven't rolled it out somewhere else. It would be really interesting if we dropped mm. it in Barangaroo or something and you know did a shipping container. That would be a really interesting comparison. There's probably a, <clears throat> there's a sense in that a lot of good has come as well. So we, it's easy to harp on the negative. Mm. Um, it's actually a few voices over and over again hijacking lots of threads. We've received a lot of support as well and it's particularly been good in store um, which is the main thing so the people around the corner are coming in and trying the burger and loving it while the person in WA that's you know abusing us has no idea so we have received a lot of support support and we've we've received actually a lot of support from the scientific community and the ecologists and, and they're writing to us and they're also writing to us in private saying sorry we can't really do this publicly but we will get <laughs> lambasted just like you are yeah. <laughs> so we're like that's all right we'll, we'll, we'll carry the game but thanks yeah. it, mean, it does mean a lot when you get that so i guess we preface the the rough with the good i mean the adelaide thing um I, I just don't know how you, without doing it somewhere else, mm. it's probably hard to say how it's manifest, but um, it's definitely polarising and there's, and perhaps that's a reflection of that. Mm. Either way, you are now trying to change culture, burger culture, whatever. It's a, it's a massive challenge and one you probably weren't prepared for. Now that you've, you've launched, you've dealt with the, a fair bit of the crap, how do you go about changing people's minds, influencing people in this? Is it just doing what you're doing now, just talking to people, getting in front of people? How do you, how do you go about it? Have you got any suggestions? <laughs> We're doing um, it. That, that's, you know, we are doing that. I mean, we've come from the shop today, so we're both, you know, both on deck, um, both on deck in the stores as much as we can. Um, our, really, our main message is, is to people, we, you know, to come and try it. And I think that that is a key part is that even if the kangaroo beef patties cook perfectly, if your, you know, bun was toasted too early or your fries were oversalted or there's so many other elements that can kind of mess up the experience, um, of the burger. So that's as much as anything that we just want to execute these burgers as well as we can. Um, obviously for as long as we can, but especially while we're under this scrutiny, um, the mistakes are amplified because people are sort of looking for, they're very much more analytical, um, also positive about it when it hits a nail on the head. But, you know, th with that comes a bit of, um, critical analysis, which is great. Like that's what we've always wanted because I think if you, there are a lot of, um, food businesses where if you apply some critical analysis, it's not going to get you down a road that, is either very interesting or something that you can get excited about. Whereas we've always taken, I think that's the thing that's been the continuity between uh, the burgers we used to do and these ones is uh, it's the cliche of burger theory, whatever. But we have thought about it a lot. And we really think that we've put in that thought that, you know, your sort of average person that um, cares about uh, country, world, whatever, and also wants a burger that tastes good. We think that that all adds up. You're incredibly um, articulate. You seem very 
pragmatic and calculated. Um, the name itself implies it. You know, there's a lot of thought that's gone into this. You're not just flipping patties. What have you learnt about yourself, I guess, in this whole journey in terms of your business acumen, uh, your, your tolerance for risk? What have you noticed about the way that you've both developed as business people? Thanks, Begs. Yeah, that's a <laughs> deep one. He said Begs. <laughs> it's been a pretty full-on uh, six years, that's for sure. Um, we learned that we didn't really know anything, wasn't that, wasn't that line? You know, you know enough to know you don't really know anything at all, especially when you, as you fellas probably know, you go into your own business. Um, at the beginning, it was a joy, like it, it just um, figuratively blew up at the beginning with the truck, and before we knew it, we were just hanging on, trying to keep up with uh, everything that that generated, and that actually rolled for a couple of years. We had a diner going, um, and it was very much learning on your feet. You just learn, and you quickly find out just how many things you don't know um, when you do get a good accountant, and they tell you all the stuff you haven't been tracking that you need to be. Um, Insurance, legal, oh, there's so many different elements to, um, you got staff and you got hot oil and you got all sorts of HR and, um, you know, risk and all these sorts of things that you suddenly have to start playing catch up on. Um, but we've ridden all that wave. Um, and I think with, we have a, certainly this time around, I guess this is, you could call it a, I don't know what you call it. I guess it's a relaunch, but it's very—it's almost like a new menu. It's almost like a new business, but we have a hell of a lot more experience behind it. Um, and I think we've learned a lot of those lessons about things we've got wrong in the past um, that we can try and set right this time around. Um, but yeah, then then next time around we'll probably do a better uh, PR management thing before we go into it. But no, we're certainly in a better position. But you know, it's it's hard graft. Like it's definitely a lot of hard work, um, and I don't know that that's going to change. It's that's uh, small business, that's hospitality, um, entrepreneurship in general. Uh, a lot of those things do ring true. Looking back on those early days, what did you get right? Because I think I just think part of the reason why this has blown up so much is because Burger Theory is like an Adelaide icon. Like people, you know, you were talking earlier about people just passionate from those early truck days, you know, you guys creating a new culture in Adelaide and it was it was different, it was fun and, and it just tasted bloody good. What did you get right in those early days? Um, seasoning patties properly, I think was, <laughs> that was my main contribution. Um, we went on like a burger tour and just I think every single time I was like, yep, not enough salt, not enough salt. Um, <laughs> so I love salt, but that was my main contribution. No, I think um, we just all, always looked at how can we make something that tastes really good and is accessible to you know anyone from your student to your kind of business student or whatever it is. And that was that common thread was that we were just passionate from the get-go about putting out a product that we genuinely cared about and we genuinely believed in that it didn't exist and that it because um, really I think people forget that but a decade ago there was probably one burger in Australia that was cooked not well done and it was at Rockpool mm. and you had to spend I don't know what it cost now but I think it was 27 bucks back then 
mm. and you're sitting in a massive bank and I think we went there as well and I don't think I was dressed well enough or something no, like that yeah. so I don't think I was even either I was let in and I felt uncomfortable or maybe I turned around I don't even know what happened but the point being that that was we just knew that um, medium burgers at that time uh, seasoned properly made with any kind of love and care we were going to do it in a a little place off of, um, you know, where was it? Oh, Weymouth Street. Yeah, Weymouth Street. But that all fell through. So the truck was almost just robbed randomly on eBay. Um, yeah, so, that's true. Um, that that was there was a bit of luck involved, in, and I think there always is a bit of luck involved in these things. But there was also just that research of um, knowing that um, when you put beef as the kind of star of that burger and really treated it with care and all that. Um, that could be um, really great. But we also kind of uh, tried to, and this was at the beginning, I think our Twitter account was, you know, when there was still under maybe a million accounts or something, mm -hmm. which was, you know, not like we were the first movers on that, but there was not really a whole lot going on on that. And we really tried to uh, be passionate about the social media and really give a window well, to people. And Adelaide's Twitter really did get behind it. Yeah, mm -hmm. time. And I guess that's, that was New Adelaide in a nutshell. They're all on Twitter. Yeah. So they did get behind the truck in a big way. Um, it's nice of you to say, us, describe us sort of as iconic, I suppose, but I guess we don't want to be like iconic like the big lobster or something. You know, you, <laughs> you, you, you know things are changing, things are moving, and, and we, you know, part of the thought is, well, we want to keep up or, you know, mm. you know keep or leave with that pace of change. But it's Probably some big lobster lovers that are very yeah. sad. Yeah, they're, they're just like... Yeah, they're on the Facebook. Uh, they're on the next one. Yeah, lay off our lobsters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could just see that happening. But it's this, it's this... It seems to be this consistent theme of pioneering. You know, from those early days, you've got a truck, you put the word out on Twitter, we're going to be here at this time, and the crowd just follows. Well, we were late. That was... Uh, <laughs> we late, so yeah. yeah. Um, Luckily, you, Josh kept it open, but... Yeah. That's it. Do you... Do you feel like pioneers or is it just kind of unfolded in front of you just while you're doing what you're doing? Uh, well, we probably yeah, probably feel a little bit like pioneers by default. That wasn't the intention, no, not setting out to pioneer anything. Um, but this one certainly tends to have, seems to have cut through the noise a bit. Um, and look, that's a good thing. I just, if people are talking and it means that. Hopefully they're thinking before they open their mouths or hit the keyboard, not all the time, but at least it's generating something that wasn't there before. Um, and the food system is really something that is worth talking about. Um, it's Everybody's involved. We all eat three meals a day, sometimes more, sometimes less, but you know, every time you're, you're, you're eating, you're making a choice. Like There's something about what you're choosing. So that's, I think that's also partly why people are so vocal because they feel such an attachment to it. It is something everybody can relate to. It's not like, you know, high level surgery here that the neuroscientists or whatever is not going to be able to open a discussion about the, you know, it's a very different. It is actually something very tangible that you can, you know, you actually touch and eat and consume. And perhaps that's partly why people are so passionate about it. Yeah. And for about eight bucks, you can try it. That's the other <laughs> yeah. thing. So like, I think that's what always struck me about food and hospitality was my, like the only other person in my family that is um, much more successful than <laughs> I think we could ever hope to be. But anyway, it is like a health strategy business in the States. And, um, you know, I don't even know how he goes about researching 
other health strategy because it's so much IP and so much behind closed doors and, you know, all these patents and things like that. And so that's great stuff because you can really leverage off that. But for us, you know, you can just come in and give it a shot and, you know, you get change back from $10. So that's um, a big difference, I think. You've both mentioned it, but what actually is a food system or what is the food system? Unfortunately, my one, right? Yeah, exactly. Just my right. one. Yeah. Well, Dan was doing a PhD in food systems uh, before he dropped out and came and started the truck. Yep. So, take my it away. Summarise that. Yeah. I guess at, on the most basic level, you have with the most popular phrase you have associated with now is the um, paddock to plate or, you know, the farm to table, all that sort of stuff. And that only occurred because people, that was the way it used to be. And before refrigeration, things were a lot more local. And that's where you get the whole beef industry, Chicago, the stockyards, all that kind of stuff. That was the advent of uh, refrigerated rail cars. And there's a whole lot of stuff you could get into with uh, the would go long beyond this uh, podcast and would take ages. Rob is currently yeah. smirking, yeah. holding in a laugh, and I don't know why. It's because he's, it munching, I just, he's munching on I'm salad. Eating, yeah. And it was a really loud piece of broccoli. <laughs> so I had to turn the... Sorry, please continue. <laughs> no, it's good uh, interlude. Um, so it's only because our food system has become so complex where uh, we have this demand for you know, nectarines all year round. And so where do those nectarines come from when uh, you can't get them locally and how do they get there and what people willing to pay and where are they going to buy them and all that sort of stuff. So from the beginning of all the problems that people encounter and, uh, you know, that's one of the things I was most interested in when I was doing my PhD is how much waste there is and how much, um, you know, there's enough calories in the world for every single person to have, uh, you know, their daily 3,000 or whatever it is. And then the distribution and the waste that occurs means that there's you know, a billion malnourished and there's a billion obese and then there's five billion in between that are just sort of eating loud pieces of broccoli. <laughs> so um, that, that's, in a nutshell, that's food systems right there is that um, you know, there could be a better way of distributing, there could be a better way. There's some amazingly incredible stuff happening in food systems where you can... Um, see those giant tunas on these, um, you know, in the Japanese uh, fish markets and things like that. I mean, some of that stuff is incredible, the way that they, uh, what they're worth. And uh, there's whole books on, you know, sushi and tuna and stuff like that. And you can look at each individual, I mean, bananas and colonialism and sugar and colonialism and lots of stuff in colonialism. Um, but, you know, sugar used to cost uh, way, way more than like anything in the 1700s and then they you know started getting it from um in ways that you probably don't want to get into um but yeah basically all that adds up to the sort of food systems as such and the part we have always been somewhat interested in is the quality of the food you're getting and where you're sourcing it and that's why we've always used um local suppliers uh, that we believed in because well we thought that that was the best way and that's not always the cheapest way um, but, you know, we thought that that was the value we were imparting was that here was this accessible burger that, you know, the same at Rockpool back then. I'm shouting at Rockpool quite a bit. So hopefully uh, Neil Perry's listening. Um, but he's a big listener. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, we're mates. I'll send it to him. Um, but, um, basically the idea being that he was using local 
meat supplier for his $27 burger. And we thought, well, we can do that for, you know, 10 bucks or I think there are eight and 10 bucks when we started and we can use this, uh, you know, fruit and veg from the central market and we can do all this and we can do it in a way where you don't have to sit in a beautiful old bank mm. and wear a nice shirt and all that sort of stuff because that's not what I wanted to do when I was eating a burger. Mm. Um, so yeah, I hope that <laughs> did some. That was awesome. To, um, explain it. But yeah, it's really interesting because also, I'm interested to know, can you guys or are you measuring your impact on these elements? So, you know, we've got the, your accountants next door, our good mates. They're measuring the commercial side, the financial side. You make these changes. Now, can you actually measure the sustainability impact, the, the impact on the food system that you guys, that changes like this actually make? It's an incredibly... Um, complex field um, and we were just talking about this recently because we're getting buns in from the states because we think they're awesome buns and I've always wanted these buns we tried to get buns from uh, these specific buns We'd, every time a mate of mine or I came back from I stopped getting duty free and I'd start putting buns in my suitcases because that's you know we'd bring back these buns try to bring them to suppliers say can you make these buns for us please we couldn't do it um, they they might get there soon, but it wasn't soon enough for us. And so we said, okay, well, we'll just get a shipping container. And so we've been harped on about the carbon impact of the buns. But if you look at uh, producing a calorie of meat versus, and then that's the even more complex side, are you looking at producing a calorie? Are you pr- looking at producing a gram of protein? Are you looking at producing um, you know, a gram of carbs? Each one is completely, it can be completely different based on, Land use, water use, um, depends on the country, depends on the efficiencies of the system that, so we're getting these from these modern potato roll guys. Their system might be, who knows, their factory might be, you know, energy five star, whatever. If the local one's three star, then maybe it evens out. Um, so all of these, uh, trying to calculate these things is incredibly hard. What I could say with that complete degree of certainty is using uh, kangaroo that's called regardless that lives off the land and isn't farmed is um, Im- immeasurably but far far more efficient than farming cattle in a country that's just not meant really to have cattle uh, so that is undeniable and the fact is if you ask any uh, wholesale beef producer um, how much extra fat they have they're going to say quite a bit um, so that again is undeniably the case that that's something that should be used. So there's trends in the moment at the states of these like bleeding burgers. I don't know if you guys have come across this. Well, bleeding vegetable-based burgers. So there's a couple of different companies doing it, and they always tout that Bill Gates has, you know, been a. So hopefully Bill gives us a call sometime. That'd be great. Um, but you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, all the like uh, token, uh, really environmental celebrity people with lots of money. And they're investing in these uh, vegetarian patties that are highly technically produced. They have millions of dollars of research into them. And they look, and I haven't tried one. I really would like to try one. But they look and somewhat taste like a beef burger. Um, and this is going to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger in the States. And I'm sure it will come here pretty soon. Uh, but they say, okay, we're using 80% less land or 85% less water. What we're using is default livestock um, in the sort of technical literature about this sort of stuff in the food systems. It's 
it exists regardless and we have to do nothing to produce it and so one could argue and we do that this uh, patty that we have actually has less environmental impact than our vegetarian patty because you actually have to grow chickpeas you actually have to grow parsley well because it needs some flavor but um, you have to grow those things whereas these other I mean it's sort of dirty word that it's a byproduct but it's a delicious byproduct so why not use it Hmm. it suddenly struck me as you're i guess talking with such passion about this stuff i mean you're you're always passionate about burger theory and that always came through you've kind of got this extra sort of intrinsic um i guess passion you know now writing on your business i mean this this the ethical side the sustainability side and yes it's not completely perfect yet but you know you can now attach that to your business world does it make you feel any different about your i'll say crusade or your or what you're trying to achieve not until you mention it really but no i guess um that's i guess what sees us through the noise you know we do believe in it uh, we've done the research, you know, just, um, it's kind of like this, it really is, it's a situation, you really can have your cake and eat it too with this, it's really where we're coming from, like it's not often that that's the case, and this does tend to be, it's unique to Australia, Australia has this unique, you know, fauna, um, and, you know, given the history of farming and all sorts of things that has actually seen the kangaroo populations increase as many other native animals don't increase when through colonialism, but kangaroo populations thrived. Um, there's really is this unique scenario where we can actually, you know, we can produce the best burger we think that we could make regardless of, we, we really do think it's the best burger you can, we could have made. Mm. But it also comes with this, you know, um, benefit in terms of our learning of food systems and um, the impact is far less than what it, what it was before mm. um, and, and what it is for pretty much any other burger joint out there. It's funny because at the start of the interview I wrote at the top of my notes, it's not just a burger and it's like, it's unbelievable how, how much goes into this that I certainly wouldn't have thought of and the average man on the street certainly isn't thinking of when they buy a burger from whatever, is, whatever they like or whatever is the nearest location. It'd be nice if they didn't have to, right? Like, mm. that's not always the most appetizing start to your meal is like, what are my, what's my carbon impact? What's my, that's not what you want to, if you can have this scenario where mm. you can, we do, you know, that thinking for you, then you just eat it. As long as it tastes good, then it's good for everyone. Mm. Like, that's, that, as Rob was alluding to, like, these things don't necessarily happen very often where, um, it can actually work out for all the parties involved, um, you know, save for the um, aforementioned uh, rule lovers. But, you know, I think that that's something where, you know, if they really want to take that up with someone, we're not the ones that are, we're not, we don't have the money to donate to like, you know, keep the call going or something like that. It's just happening. Mm-hmm. So should we export that meat or, you know, use it um, in ways that isn't really um, like as beneficial mm. to humans as could be or should we keep it in Australia eat it enjoy it mm. and try to lessen our impact with other farmed animals as as this rolls out is there anything else that is next on the list in terms of 
your vision for for change? Well, it's interesting just how much everything opens up once you do make a move. Like um, people are, Dan mentioned, lamenting the loss of the old number two burger. Well, it's not a loss permanent. You know, we, we're getting wild boar bacon made up for us as we speak. Like pigs will probably have the anti-pig brigade on us soon, but surely that, that is an introduced species. It's a pest and it's delicious. Um, so, you know, we're going to try that. I mean, there's all, there's, there's, it's, and it's kind of crude to refer to these animals, I guess, as resources, which, um, would be called out upon, but in a sense, that is one that's there that exists, that isn't wanted, that was introduced. We should be using it. Um, probably the most off the wall one and probably get, probably throw people off, but, you know, there's, we're looking at fish burgers. Um, there's a hell of a lot of carp that people don't eat. <laughs> You know, so Torrent, the it's, torrents. It's 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 worth a crack, right? Yeah. <laughs> worth a crack. Well, and that's also. But that's that's, yeah. that might, yeah, maybe the people just they just hung up or turned it <laughs> off or whatever. Like these guys really are crazy. Yeah. But it's not that we're going to do it, but it's worth exploring. And also, uh, there's the goat. There's a big goat. But it's, the stuff is just worth exploring. It might never eventuate, but um, I mean, the bacon will because it, you know, it's so good. But, um, on the carp, they want to poison like a million carp, and then they don't really have a plan for how they're going to get those million poisoned carp out of the Murray. The whole thing's ridiculous. They're introducing some sort of disease, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So why don't we? It, I understand people have issues with uh, what carp tastes like, but I think, I mean, I have not tried the carp that's sourced by a mate of ours that has put us onto this idea. Um, but he said that um, when you just do it as you're just fishing whatever and you don't take the care that they do, that's why it's a misconception that carp always taste that way. That when they process it in a proper way, in the way that they, you know, experts do um, in fishing, fishing industry um, and fisheries, that it can taste amazing. And would you rather poison a million of them and not get that benefit or, you know, have that and not deplete the you know, fish that are around. I feel like we're serious about carp. <laughs> I, uh, I Can really, we break it? Is this a scoop? <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll bring them to you first. Yeah. Um, well, there's a red herring. I don't but know. It, <laughs> it strikes me that you're applying a whole lot of logic to a highly emotional debate. And so um, over time, that emotion will die down. And at the end of the day, people half the time don't even care. Like, you know, cost and t- flavour, I think. Um, one of my questions was going to be about what are the opportunities, what are the new, new markets that you can tap into? I'm thinking I'm a tourist and I've lobbed in Adelaide and I'm from, you know, uh, another country. Like, I'd love to try a kangaroo burger. That's what we all do when we go to other countries. Mm. Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> I can see a big Fairstar cruise ship just pulling up at the port and you're just <laughs> yeah. having a little pop up of. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we no, no, but are, are there kind of opportunities now that you, that you see? Um, I think that's certainly a good one that you've picked up on. Um, I guess we've always, probably always taken a lower key approach to those things in the hope that the burger would do the talking or the walking for us, but it would make sense that we, you know, also take more of an active approach to some of those things too. Um, but I, I think, especially for the time being, we're still hanging on. I mean, this part of the reason we haven't been on social media the last few weeks, apart from the people on our case, is that we haven't had time. I think often people see a brand and 
you know, it's e- if there's not a face on it, you know, or if the face is not the, you know, it's easy to, to get stuck in. Like, why won't you answer me, brand? <laughs> well, the person who runs it is on the grill. He'll get to it when he has a good night's sleep. Like, I think some of that tends to get a bit lost. Um, and the emotion, it's understandable. Some of the emotion, I mean, I kind of think of the pro-lifers in the States. That they really think you're killing babies. They, these, some of these people really think we're going out there and, like, smashing these poor animals. Like, um, And I think that we have to address that soon because there's a lot of misinformation about that and that the suppliers that we're using. I mean, talk about world's best practice. Um, they, they, they claim not to have shot a female row in six years. That's a long time. And if you're not hitting the female roo, you're not hitting the joeys. And they, they claim to be incredibly accurate and they, they know what the kangaroos eat, they know what the populations are, they know how, where they go, where they travel. They really know these things. Um, and that's who we trust for our supply. And like Dan mentioned, there's a cull, there's a sanctioned cull. Um, probably where some of the damage or the misconceptions come from is that anybody can actually get a license to shoot kangaroos. But that's not who's supplying us with our meat. And then, you know, if there's a little bit of understanding around that, that actually, if the professionals are doing the job, it's better off for the welfare of the kangaroos as well. So, but that's a very, it's a very hard message to get across. It's, even that's a little sound bite. Um, that in itself is, is, is another sort of area of complexity. It's going to be particularly challenging for you, the PR around um, the platypus burger that I think you're going to be releasing soon as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's the, only uh, a few of them around. <laughs> they're limited edition platypus burger. Yeah. It's the Bilby Fries. I don't know how they're going <laughs> to... Yeah, they're very, they're very small and shoestring. Like, <laughs> um, look, guys, we're going to have to bring the conversation to a close because I know you've got to duck off and um, you know get back on the tools or do whatever you have to do to manage the small business. But traditionally, we always finish with uh, Rapid Fire, which is world famous. Um, it's where we ask you a series of um, unscripted, you know, short answer questions, and it always seems to go poorly. And I'm going to throw to Andrew for the first one. It's not like one of those Rorschach things. That, that can be yeah, yeah, yeah. close. First one for me is in all the criticism that you've copped, what was kind of the weirdest review or weirdest post? Something that's just stuck with you. It's like, that's just uh, odd. Somebody said, I kind of hope these guys fail. <laughs> I thought that's you do it in an American accent. <laughs> it just had to be American. I, that's what I felt like. It was, yeah. I kind of hope these guys fail. It's like, like really? Yeah, you want to see forty people you don't know lose their jobs, and it's, that, that one kind of stuck with me. I think uh, weirdest one. Um, I just like seeing the yeah. For me, it just especially after the election last year in the states, I love seeing this synergy between you know you'll have two comments one after the other, and it's going to be like someone hugging a kangaroo in their profile on the first one and then yeah like rob said in and again it's stereotyping but it does i do love to see those two groups bond over something what's uh what is a moment where like you've had a euphoric moment in your business life where you're in the car and we say it's kind of the jerry Maguire moment where the music comes on and you're slapping the steering wheel because something awesome just happened Well, I would have said China, but that didn't really pan out. Yeah. <laughs> I had that down to talk about, but we've run out of time. Yeah, I'd never got off the ground floor, put it that way, but it was exciting when it was up in the air for a while there. Yeah. That's the Australian article for me. Yeah. Early on. What happened? Uh, we, it was probably six months, no, a couple months, three months into like properly, because we had the truck for a while, but 
when we got back, we realized, sorry, this isn't rapid fire, but no, it's um, we you realized can. it didn't have a fan in it. And there was a little bit of like cosmetic issues we had to deal with and functional issues. So we did a couple caterings and things like that. But then we did this like summers in the East End thing where we did every Friday, actually where Union Street is now, like our shop, that was an empty lot. And we had the truck there and they went usually really well. And um, about three months into those, we were sort of speaking to the Australian. They were going to do a bit of an article about food trucks in general, and they were talking to um, the Beepox kitchen guys in Melbourne. So I thought it was just going to be a little bit of, you know, us in a tiny photo, like with a little bit about burger theory. It ended up being, you know, the front page and a two-page spread in the, you know, of the whatever wow. the technical word is for where it opens. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, it ended up being a three-page article, and there was the two of us, like, greasily, as we always do, apparently, looking into the camera off the truck in, you know, it was huge. So that was kind of like a, oh, this is this might go somewhere. That's awesome. Building on from that, uh, the most famous person to have had a Burger Theory burger. I don't know. Um, we've had a few. We did a few of the Comic-Con things, so I didn't actually know them all, but our staff Darth were really Vader. excited. No, Sean Aston, hey, yeah, he loved him. He had a few burgers. Oh, Joffrey from uh, oh, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah, yeah, Joffrey. He, then his face melted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I, I did. I couldn't resist making some joke that it wasn't poisoned or some stupid <laughs> she must shit like that. Yeah, time. I was like, I just, I had to do that. I'm yeah. really sorry. <laughs> he was like, No, it's a good burger. Thanks. You're flipping burgers and you got the tunes on. Um, what song are you cranking? Uh, that's a controversial one. Well, you can have one each. Yeah. Mine is just gone. Yeah. Pop one up. Australiana? No. No, I don't think so. Oh, Thunderstruck? How's that? Yeah. <laughs> <I'll work. laughs> yeah. Probably, I have to do some Canadian thing like Rush or something like that, but no. Um, I don't know. Probably just any kind of classic rock would probably work for me. Maybe Dan. some rap. My last question, um, and I'm going to direct it at you. What was your parents' reaction? Both professors, um, you know, very scholastic and um, you know, well-read people. What was their reaction when you said you were going full time into burgers? Well, I had to use like a little bit of a caveat that I was still doing my PhD, which wasn't true. Um, so hopefully, my supervisor isn't listening to this. But um, <laughs> former supervisor, no, they look. They are lovely supportive people they said is this really what you want to do and I said can you try to finish the PhD and I said I'll try and that was honestly true that I was going to try just didn't pan out <laughs> so um, the more they learned about the about how complex business is and how uh, interesting it can be and how ac academic it can be the more they're on board and they love it they're like big fans Lads, thank you for uh, giving up your time and being incredibly open and vulnerable with us and giving us a, uh, a really honest appraisal of kind of what it's like to be really ballsy and, and have a massive crack at um, doing something that's not only positive for, you know, the commercial side of your business but also for the food systems uh, around here. So really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank thanks you for listening. Much. If you're still listening. <laughs> Our message, try the new Burger Theory menu for yourself. You won't regret it. And you can find out more at burgertheory.com.au. 
Thanks for listening to our chat with Rob Dean and Dan Mendelson. We have plenty of interesting interviews in the bank and many more to come. So subscribe to Rooster Radio. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a review on iTunes or your favourite podcast player. And connect with us at roosterradio.biz. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you.